Chuck, Chuck. Chuck, Chuck, Chuck. Test, test, testing. Test, test, test. Oh, test. Forgot to turn the mains up. Check microphones before the service starts. Good morning. I want to know if anybody can tell me what happened on February the 18th, 1990. Some of you are going, are you serious? 1990 didn't exist for me, right? Who knows what happened on February 18th, the year 1990? A person was born, you're probably exactly right, but that's not what I'm looking for. Any other thoughts? None. It was the first service held here. I have it on good authority because Phil Dempster and Peter were arm wrestling to get the right answer and they decided it was February 18th. And today um, we are having our final annual general meeting here at this location before in a month or slightly more we move over to Main Street. So we hope that you're all planning to stay. We will have a soup and sandwich lunch and then the annual meeting. Part of the annual meeting will just be some chit chat on what's happening at 200 Main. So there's some things that we can tell you because we thought we need to tell you, but it'll also be a time for you just to ask whatever questions are on your mind. Um, it is a beehive of activity over there. Uh, all of the trades are there. We're getting all of our orders in and we're anxiously looking at our calendars, um, trusting that indeed April 1st will be our first service Sunday over there. Uh, but there's still a lot to do before we get there. However, today, here we are, and uh, we have a treat in terms of uh, the team that's leading us in worship this morning. And I'm gonna invite Aaron to start us off. Good morning, everyone. We're going to ask all you guys to get ready in your spots. We have a bit of a surprise for you this morning. We have our first ever kids worship team leading us this morning. And you know, I've heard it said that... <laughs> I've heard it said that the kids are the church of tomorrow, but that is wrong. The kids are the church of today, and they have something to give and to offer to us, and they have leadership qualities, and they have opinions, and they have talents and abilities, and uh, as you'll see this morning, they have hearts to love God, and they have hearts to serve God, 
And so getting them involved, I think, to me, is of utmost importance. And we need to pray for them, and we need to think about them um, through their growing up years and, um, and come around side of them as a church and say, you're good at that. You need to be doing that. You're good at that. You need to be doing that. And I think that's the heart of our church now and of our future. So um, this morning, they're going to be leading us in two of the songs that we sing and we know very well here. So I'd like you to please stand to your feet as you join us. And um, as we've been practicing these last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it really means to have freedom in Christ and what it means to... Uh, have freedom to run. We have freedom to run away from the sin that ensnares us and that tangles up, tangles us up. And we have freedom to run to Christ, who is the answer. Um, so let's sing with freedom, shall we?
You may be seated. Thank you. Okay, that was marvelous. Is this on? It's working? Okay. Join me, please, in uh, saying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The kingdom, the power, and the glory belong to you forever. Amen. Okay, we'll just continue in prayer together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we join together to praise you this morning. Lord, you're so very worthy of our praise. You are holy, perfect, just, true. We can't even comprehend all that that means. We praise you for all that you are, even when we can't begin to grasp it. As we consider again this morning that you are all-powerful, sovereign over everything in creation, we declare that you are also loving, compassionate, and merciful toward all that you have made. You seek us and invite us into a relationship with you, and we are humbled by that truth. <clears throat> One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. That's Psalm 62, 11 and 12. <clears throat> Help us to be faithful in all that we do. Continue to refine us, Lord, that we may better represent you and your love to the lost world around us. One of your great servants, Billy Graham, went home to heaven this week. We are encouraged by his life, by his steady, faithful walk of many years. Thank you for keeping him so long on this earth and allowing him to share the gospel with millions of people. May the tributes that will be shared this next week continue to point the way to salvation. We long to see your kingdom come here and now in situations that are difficult and painful. Please remind us of the truth that you are at work in every one of these circumstances, even when we cannot see it. We ask for special mercy on Jeanette Kingsland's family and the recent loss of their loved one. We pray that her sister Liz especially be aware of your comforting presence close to her in her grief. Heavily in need for wisdom and guidance in her 
the brain glands and the brain waves following your surgery. So we ask that they continue to take constant treatment and freedom from pain. Please be with the doctor and his loan tomorrow for another surgery and just let him sleep tonight. We also need to hear and check on our relationships and our marriages, your parent-child relationships that are broken, your friendships that need to be repaired. For all these, we ask that you would pour out your grace that is more than sufficient. Give us hope for seemingly hopeless situations. You are the one, the only one, who can redeem and restore what seems beyond repair. Lord, we want to lift up our leaders at every level of authority over us. Please be present in Ottawa, at Queen's Park, in the leadership race here in Ontario, in Milton Town Hall. We ask that the Holy Spirit would have influence over the decisions that are being made in each of these places. We ask you for wisdom and discernment for our Board of Elders and that your presence would be with us, especially today during our annual general meeting. We want to bless you, Lord, in all that we do and say here at Town Hall. So we submit ourselves to your guidance. Keep us mindful of our brothers and sisters around the world, especially those living in dangerous places. We ask that you would comfort and encourage them daily. Remind us to pray for them throughout the week. Please protect those in our communities who are working to protect us and keep us safe. We ask you now to bless the teachers as they share your life-giving truth with our children. Give the children listening ears and teachable hearts today that the seeds planted today would bear fruit in the days ahead. Please bless you as you bring to us your word this morning. Give us teachable hearts so we also may bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the days ahead. Help us to apply these truths in practical ways. We ask you now to take the offerings and multiply them for the growth of your kingdom. We give them cheerfully, remembering that all we have is from you, the giver of all good gifts. We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Check, 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 check.
stand once more as we sing together. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine.
singing that hymn um, can't help for many of us remind us of Billy Graham, who went home to be with the Lord this week. And uh, I had the opportunity to do the same job twice with him, uh, once in Vancouver and then once in Toronto, where I was responsible for training all of the counselors and leading the counseling and placement of those who began to follow Christ at one of Billy Graham's missions or crusades. What they say about him is absolutely true. He was a man of deep humility and integrity. And so uh, I was sort of fixed on the television yesterday watching the funeral motorcade driving through the whole state of North Carolina. Uh, every overpass with a fire truck, um, people lined up all along the streets, traffic in the other direction stopped dead. Um, for a country to acknowledge a, a man of faith um, who clearly and for decades and decades lived out his God-given calling. If I were to ask you, what do you think of the five gifts was Billy Graham's gift? What would you say to me? He was a devout, empowered evangelist, wasn't he? And uh, just listening to the crusade recordings that were being played as the motorcade drove through the state, um, how every time he would end his, his talk by saying, if you don't remember anything I say here tonight, remember this, that God loves you. And he talked about the fact when he gets to the last day of his life that he will go to heaven not because he has preached to great crowds, but because he was a sinner who accepted the Lord Jesus Christ's death for his sins to forgive him because on the day of his death he said, I will still be a sinner needing to be forgiven. So what a great legacy he has left behind and what a great example of the gift of evangelism. So I'm not asking for you to step up to that level of the use of your gift, but I am asking you to find out which one is yours. Suppose Billy Graham had thought from the get-go that his gift was to be a pastor. He would have missed what God wanted him to do, wouldn't he? Even though he would have been a good pastor, I'm quite sure. But God has given us five gifts. They are our five trades. They are the ways that we function together in the body of Christ and they are the sum total of all of the ministry that God is hoping for from us. It's a very simple set of skills, a very simple set of callings, just like, as I've said a few times now, the trades that drive into your new subdivision in their cube vans. Um, one will be an electrician, one will be a plumber, one will be a carpenter. So as we drive our cube vans into the church parking lot, some of us are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are pastors, and some are teachers. Which one are you? Because we need to know. And by the end of this morning, I hope you will understand why we need to know. If you're still sort of wondering, um, and while many of these just immediately click with us, um, I've put two websites on the screen where you can go and take a test. The first one's for free, and the second one would cost you $10, and you'll get a bit of a, a rundown on what your gift mix is and how that might show up. So if you're interested in those sorts of things, uh, I encourage you to go there and then tell people what your trade is. And do not allow any false modesty to get into this, because where did they come from, these gifts? Were you born with them? Mm, maybe in some version. But who gave them to you? Christ did. So you can glory in that. You can say, I am delighted. You should see the gift that Christ gave me. It's like on Christmas morning, you know, our little children aren't embarrassed to show you the new doll that they received. 
Because they're not taking any credit for it. They're just saying, this is what my mommy and daddy bought me. Look at it, look at it, look at it. And so we are able to say, this is what Jesus has given to me. Look at it. He gave me this gift, the gift of being an apostle or a prophet or evangelist or a pastor or a teacher. So in Ephesians chapter 4, um, Paul is giving us his ecclesiology, right? That's, that's a churchy word that means church. He's telling us how the church ought to function. And I want this morning to remind you of something that he talked about a few chapters earlier and then return to Ephesians 4, where we were last Sunday, and uh, just ask ourselves, what is all of this about? Why did God give us these gifts? One simple reason, so that the body of Christ may be built up. So I've just sorted some of the, the language from Ephesians 4, 11 through verse 16, and it comes together to say this. So Christ gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, so that the body of Christ may be built up. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As we make a move over to 200 Main Street, we are looking for this body to build itself up. We are looking for ways that this body will thrive. We are looking for growth in this body, not only in terms of new folks who join this body, but in the growth of those of us who are already part of the body. And in Ephesians, what Paul is saying is this, if you want to be a body that is being built up, if you want to be a body that is growing, you are going to have to employ the five gifts. You will not be able to do it without that. You must have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And for quite some time, the, the Western church, the evangelical church, has kind of camped on two of these to the exclusion of the others. So we have camped on pastors and teachers. And the great church growth movement over the last 10 or 20 years um, that has produced mega churches has produced those mega churches with really only two of the five kinds of leaders often being at play. So there are a lot of pastors and there are a lot of teachers. And so we end up with uh, huge churches where there is one or two or three teachers. And it sort of begs the question, why are there only three out of 10,000 people who teach here? Um, because surely the gift of teaching must be a little bit more universal than that. Or maybe there's an apostle, um, and that person is kind of the key leader, and he, he or she um, imagines and develops a huge church. Um, but rarely these days have all five gifts been acknowledged and practiced, and there is a revival of that now. I think a proper revival based on the authority of the letter to the Ephesians that Paul gives to them. So he says, the whole reason for this is that the body needs to be built up. And then he goes on, and uh, he talks to us about how exactly all of this is supposed to happen. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, Paul uses another analogy. So in the book of Ephesians, he has two analogies for the church. Um, one is the analogy of a temple, and the other is the analogy of the body, which we find in Ephesians 4. But the way that they rhyme with each other, I think, is really instructive for us. And I want to just sort of go there with you for a little bit this morning. In Ephesians 2, verse 21, um, we are presented with this spiritual temple that Paul says we are. And he says, this spiritual temple has a cornerstone and living stones. 
And the living stones are being fitted together to build a holy habitation for God by his Holy Spirit. So there's the first image, the image of a temple, a building, but he says not a physical building with physical stones, but a spiritual building um, with a spiritual cornerstone, and that's Christ, and then living stones that are being fitted together and built up into this holy habitation for God by his Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 2.21, it says that when um, these stones are being fitted together and connected up to the cornerstone, the temple grows to its extreme limit. So what is the purpose for the five gifts? Paul says it's so that the body can be built up. To what degree? I mean, how, how big, how wide, how vast, how complete is a body expected to be? The verb um, that is used here, or the, the term that's used here, not a verb, but the, the, this noun, it's usually used of a fish that outgrows its skeleton, that, that virtually um, uh, puffs itself up and could explode if it were possible because there's no possible way for the fish to grow any larger in its skeleton and scales and whatever else fish have that let them be living. So what, he, what, what Paul says in, in Ephesians 2 about the temple is that when the, the, the bricks are fitted together as well as they can be and when they're well adjusted towards the cornerstone, the temple becomes so huge, it's at its capacity. You couldn't imagine a greater, um, more complete spiritual temple when all of this has happened. So again, the theme is that this is all aimed towards growth. It is aimed towards the temple being as effective, as huge as it can be, and then by extension, the body of Christ growing and thriving, becoming all that it could possibly be. Now, the way that the temple is described in terms of its building is exactly the same way that the body is described in terms of its building. So, Paul in Ephesians 4 says, from him the whole body joined and held together. So just hang on to that joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It's exactly the same two ideas as we find in Ephesians chapter 2. So in Ephesians chapter 2, um, where we talk about this cornerstone uh, being responsible then for the, the, the bricks being fitted together, it's exactly the same verb as when we're told from him the whole body joined together. So you have a spiritual image of the temple, you have the analogy of the body, both of them are geared for growth, both of them are purposed for growth, and the way that growth happens is first of all, that the component parts are carefully fitted together. And it's actually an architectural term. It's a term that has to do with the, the very construction of a building. And uh, I'm fascinated sometimes to watch bricklayers. If, if you gave me a bunch of bricks and mortar, I'll guarantee you there would not be a straight wall, right? But do you see these craftspeople? A lot of them, um, I remember the Kitchener-Waterloo Kitchener area, the Portuguese bricklayers were brilliant. And they had an eye for the way that those bricks were carefully put in place with the right amount of mortar. The other thing is that if you let me build a wall, um, I would waste as much mortar as I would use. I just don't have the finesse to take that trowel and place the brick where it ought to be in relationship to the other bricks so that you end up with a good straight wall. And Paul's saying that's it, the spiritual temple, it has to be oriented to the cornerstone. 
The other way that Jesus is sometimes described is that he's the capstone. And in that day of construction, the way that you knew how to orient the rest of the bricks and blocks and so on was either by the way the cornerstone was placed or by the way that the capstone would fit into the construction of the bricks and blocks of that body. So Paul says that's what you are like. You are properly fitted, every brick in its proper place, every brick properly related to the cornerstone and properly oriented to the other bricks. So here you are, you are a brick in the spiritual temple of God. Don't you love that idea? Well, Paul, maybe when he was writing, thought maybe an even more dynamic way to describe this. So he said, let's talk about the human body. So just like Christ is the chief cornerstone, he is also the head of the body. And while the temple image is a very physical image, um, the image of the body, this idea of the body, is a living entity. And Paul uses the same dynamics in what he says by way of his vocabulary and says that just as every brick has been carefully fitted together, so every member in the body is carefully fitted together with the life of the head flowing into and through each member of the body. That's really a more dynamic image, isn't it? To think that just as the human body is vibrant, once that temple is built, it's just there, right? But the human body is moving all the time, it's growing all the time, it's changing all the time. And Paul says, here's, here's my idea. A church ought to look like either a spiritual temple or a human body. And he loves the human body idea and says, just like the bricks are placed, so is every member placed in the body. And how is it placed? It's placed according to its gift, right? So just as the brick that you are has its particular place in the temple, the gift that God gave you that Jesus gave you when he was the returning conqueror from defeating Satan, that gift of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher is the way that you are fitted to the body. Now suppose we have a whole bunch of pastors who don't care that they've been given the gift of pastor. That's patently impossible because the gift demands that you care, right? But suppose we had 20 or 30 pastors who were here, who came Sunday by Sunday and sat here and listened and then went home. How much would be missing in the function of the body? A huge part, right? Because those pastors are living stones, but they're also the component parts, the gifted parts that we are to understand have been given by Jesus to demonstrate the presence of the Spirit in our lives and to grow his church. It's not my job to grow this church. It is our job to grow this church. How do we grow this church? We grow this church to understand that it is grown by the component bricks of the temple or the parts of the body with Jesus either orienting those bricks in the right way or Jesus with his life by his spirit flowing into us and through us to use the gifts that we've been given. To use the gift that you've been given is one of the most delightful and freeing activities that you will ever discover. I don't know if you love the style, personality, temperament tests. I do. Um, 
And every time I get wind of a new one, so that's why I'm showing you this and saying, you want to do this sort of thing? When I, when I get to play with a new one, it's just a new way for me to try to understand myself and mostly a way for me to understand you. Because as far as I know, the only good way to be is the way I am. Right? I don't understand that you're not like me. I'm an introvert, and a lot of people dispute that. So I had a, a man once come, and he said, I'm leaving the church. I said, well, why are you going to leave the church? He said, because you don't like me. I said, I do so like you. Who told you I don't like you? Well, he said, I see how you are up there all chatty with the congregation, but you don't come and talk to me. You don't come have a cup of coffee with me. And I said, well, Norm, it's, it's, it's because I'm an introvert. And he said, you are not an introvert. Right? But it's good to talk about whether you are or not. Because if you're an introvert, right, all of the introverts here say, yes, please understand us, because we believe that extroverts don't understand us. We don't get um, that extroverts are charged up by being with people, because when I get done here on a Sunday, I want to run in my office and hope nobody talks to me, right? That's what an introvert is like. So understand me, help me if you can, right? Understanding that I'm an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher is incredibly enabling and freeing. If you're an apostle, you'll understand why you can't just be satisfied with the status quo. You'll understand why you always want to start something new, innovate something. You'll understand why you're an entrepreneur at heart. If you're a prophet, you'll understand why you're troubled. And you'd, maybe now you'll understand why others aren't troubled by causes, by social justice issues, by mercy matters, by wrong in the world, by all of us inequities of the world. As a prophet, you'll say, why does nobody else lie awake at night worrying about these things like I do? If you're an evangelist, you will not understand why other people can't sell something. And when you meet an evangelist, pre-follower of Christ or follower of Christ, they will sell you whatever is in their bag to sell that day, because it's just what they do, they sell. And Billy Graham could not but sell the gospel of Jesus Christ. He could not but tell the message that God had put on his heart, the truth of the gospel. Um, if you're a pastor, you just love people, and you are in many ways, what I'm gonna talk about is the conclusion to this today. You are the cohesive cement of the body or of the temple that's being built. So when we understand all of this stuff, we get that we're fitted together and we grow to the greatest possible extent of our growth. And what happens as a result of that, when Paul uses the terms held together, it, it's, it, it means this. From him the whole body joined, that's fitted. Held together literally means strides together. Strides together. So while the temple is a static image, this is the image of movement. This is the body moving, striding, finding its stride together. Um, I watched the bobsleigh competitions last night. I can't believe that, 100 kilometers, inches away from sheer hard ice, racing down this track. But what fascinated me was getting into that bobsleigh at the, at the start. The traction, the stride that they found with each other before they hopped into the bobsleigh and the, and the pilot got them to the bottom in the fastest, shortest period of time. Striding together. 
is a fantastic image for a body of Christ. We want to so function with one another, with Christ as our head, that we find our stride. And in moving to 200 Main, there's a stride that I think the Spirit wants us to find. It would be rhythms, it would be cooperation, it would be understanding where we're running to, how fast we ought to be running, when we need to take breaths, when we need to take some pauses. But Paul says, here's what this looks like. It looks like a body being fitted together so it can find its stride. Find its stride. Now, what I absolutely love about all of this is that when he then talks about the, the dynamic operation of the body, the body that's fitted together with those gifts, the five apept gifts, the body that finds its stride, it works because, he says, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, and it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What is a ligament? I don't know if Paul knew his anatomy really well or not, but a ligament is not a bone. A ligament is not a joint. The ligament is the muscle or the tissue that holds bones together. And when Paul talks about this, he, he doesn't say, because he did talk about this other places, like 1 Corinthians, remember? He says the body is... or. Christ's church is like the body. And the foot can't say because I'm not the hand, I'm not the body, or the eye can't say because I'm not the ear, I'm not the body. There, he picks on the parts of the body that we would all identify from anatomy class. But here, he says, now, it's like the ligaments at work. And the key to the ligaments is not that they have the strength of the bone, but they help the body find its stride. Right? So if you have ligament damage, if, if, you, if the ligaments in your knee are damaged or torn or whatever it is, you as a body will not be able to find your stride. But what Paul is talking about here is healthy ligament composure. So that along with understanding that we are apostles or prophets or evangelists or pastors or teachers, we say, but the thing that really, really matters is that we are ligaments one to the other. We are connected to one another so that the body can find its stride. The body can run without the damage that happens um, somewhere in its ligament composure. I said pastors are really critical to this, and they really are. Because when a pastor looks at the body and says, this body is not finding its stride, the pastor then has to become a bit of a detective, right? An investigator and say, where is there ligament damage in this body? Where is there not ligament strength in this body? What part of the body isn't easily, smoothly functioning? Because if we can get our hands on that and remediate that, uh, this body could find its stride again. Have, have you ever hurt yourself badly? I, I have three boys, and... My one son was just describing to my granddaughter all of the injuries he has ever had. She sat with her mouth hanging wide open. How many times did you break your ankle and you broke your knee and you broke your elbow and you broke your, you broke your face and the, the rugby coach held you in his arms and told Gramps to come take you to the hospital because you're broken? We had um, frequent flyer points at North York General Hospital. While one guy was in there, I brought another one in, and the, the nurse in the um, 
check-in place, she, she said, um, what do you do, take a baseball club to your kids? So when the body is damaged, when the body is injured, man, it takes over, doesn't it? That injury takes over. And Paul says, I don't, I don't want a body that has injuries. I want a body that is healthy. I want a body whose ligatures are holding together properly, whose ligaments are, are working, that there's, there's no breach. They're not coming away from the bone, They're, whatever it is. The, the bones, they will be the strength of the body, but, but the ligaments will be the function of the body. If you're a pastor, take care of the ligaments of this body. Um, if you're one of the others, understand that you can't neglect the ligaments. You can't neglect the damage that happens to the body. Whatever the cause is that you as an apostle love and dream of, if the body's limping, you won't get there. If you're a prophet, if there's something that has caused that injury that you're aware of, you have to speak up. You have to say, is it possible that? One time, um, our son was on a trampoline with his best friend. His best friend was an Alberta farmer at three years old, four years old. He was already in Alberta. And um, Nelson fell on Brendan. And um, Brendan came up crying. His arm was all crying. Took him to the eMERGE. And the doctor said, no, it's not a problem. I see, I see this probably five times a week. He said, there's a little cap on the end of the bone in, in the arm that um, doesn't form its mushroom end, so it, it pops out. So he said, all I have to do is pop it back in. So he wrenched Brendan's arm to pop it back in, at which time Brendan cried blue murder. And the doctor said, that's funny, they usually pop right back in. So he said, I'll try it again. So then he takes it and he yanks it again, and he tries to pop it in. He says, that is really strange. I've never not been able to get this done. Third time, he's about to put it in. I said, are you, are, you, are you sure it's not like something other than, are you sure it's not broken? Don't, I see, well, he says, you want, if you want, I'll take an x-ray. We take an x-ray, and he comes back and he says, you know what? There's actually a crack in the bone there that I hadn't thought of. The prophet and the pastor need to come by and say, hmm, I don't think you're right about what's wrong here. I think, I think there's a, a break in the bone. And we need to get that healed for this body to find its stride. Um, the evangelist, um, as much as you want to go out there and tell the message of the gospel of Jesus, if there's a lack of the effect of the gospel in the body, you know, James talks about this. Um, you, you say you have faith, but when I look at your faith, it just doesn't look like it's working. Um, Paul says, you say you're reconciled to God, but you're not reconciled to each other at the Lord's Supper. You have to fix that. We can't show the truth of the gospel of Christ, claiming that the gospel reconciles us to God if we're not reconciled to, to one another. And the teacher is going to keep reminding us about this because it's her job and his job to say, remember, Ephesians 4, the body's supposed to grow, it grows because we know our gifts. It grows because we're committed to the ligaments being healthy. And we find our stride, all of us fitted one with the other. This morning, my message to you is this is not for somebody else. This is for you. Every single one of us is one of those five. Every single one of us has been fitted as a brick into a holy building. And every one of us has been placed as a living, moving part in a body and we will only succeed 
to realize the greatest growth, find our stride by saying what an incredible thing God has done to invest the body with these five gifts. They are the sum total of the ministries and offices of Jesus. He was absolutely an apostle, absolutely a prophet, absolutely an evangelist, absolutely a pastor, and absolutely a teacher. Some of you are two or three of these. Most of us have one or one that is clearly the lead trade that we've been given. But you just can't keep going without knowing what it is. So if you can't figure it out, ask somebody else. They can probably tell you. Or go online, take one of these surveys, and then ask somebody else if the survey's right about you. And if you're really keen, pay the $10 and bring me the report that shows all of the things that you're good at so that when we uh, keep moving on, we'll find our stride with you in your particular place in the body and in the building. Father, we thank you for the genius of the Church of Jesus Christ, for all of its component parts, all of the ways that we are gifted and enabled by your Spirit uh, to grow and become. So help us to discern our own places, um, to be responsible in our places, and to work always together for a healthy body. In Jesus' name.
So, let's do this. Um, evangelists are the people who say, you know what, you should stay for lunch. It'll be good. Okay? Teachers are going to be the ones who will say, how do we get this organized? Where's the food? How do we get lineups going? Um, apostles will figure out how to do it better next time. Um, who have I left out? Prophets. Um, they'll be watching around for anything that's wrong. I think that's it. So will you stay for lunch? Um, we're going to get lunch turned around as quickly as possible with soup and sandwiches. Whether or not you brought anything, I hope you stay. Whether or not you're a member, we hope you'll stay. If you're a member, you must stay, right? But we want everybody to be here, and we will not let the afternoon go too long. Uh, as quickly as we can finish our lunch, we'll start the meeting, and we just look forward to being able to share together. So God bless. Let's eat. Oh, we should say grace, right? That, so the, that, that somebody should have been reminding me about that. <laughs> Father, we thank you for um, the, the joy of eating together and being at table together. We pray that you will bless this time for us and thank you for the food. And we ask that you will bless it to our, our body's nourishment. In Jesus' name, amen. Brian. <laughs> Just to let everybody know, the table with the food will be brought in here. So you can just stay here just for a few moments, and the table you know, will, be, will be brought in. So. What was that gift? What were you doing just now? Stop, stop. <laughs>